Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Wella. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. It's a little quiet in here. Anybody else notice that? It's a little, a little quiet. <laughs> it's that summer. You hit that summer. But um, John chapter 10, and we are going to read verses 1 through 5. John chapter 10, 1 through 5. And it reads like this, and we should probably have it up for you as well. But John chapter 10, 1 through 5 reads like this. You ready? ready. All right. Let me try this one more time, okay? <laughs> I'm going to turn around. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, man. I was like, where's the casket at? I'm like... There are a funeral in here. What? It don't matter. Come on. <laughs> I know you guys are happy. I know we're just a quiet bunch. I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna have to teach you all how to clap pretty soon. We're gonna have to bring a drum set up. We're gonna have to do whatever we have to do. To, we're alive in Christ, yo. So, you know, I, you don't need to be too emotional, but just smile or just say man or hello. Woo! I needed that. I need to get that off my chest. If, if you ever have a moment, YouTube angry pastor is the funniest thing you've ever seen. The funniest thing you've ever seen. There's a pastor that spends about 30 minutes, and he just starts ripping on his congregation. And so uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, it's pretty sad, too. Uh, not that I want to do that right now, but I just felt like, rah. All right. Okay, now that we've got a couple of laughs out the way, we're good. It's okay to be happy in church. Um, Jesus loves you. Let me die for you. All right, so John chapter 10, 1 through 5, reads like this. Truly, truly, I say unto you, and this is Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. You guys remember we were there last week. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now last week, if you remember, we separated these five verses into two sections. And so they should be color-coded for you on the slides and we separated it into two sections. So the first section was John chapter 10, 1 through 3. And we called that section the parable of the gate. If you remember, we talked about Jesus said, I am the gate or I am the door. And that parable that we spoke about last week that Jesus talks about here in 1 through 3, it was concerned with the proper way to approach the sheep. 
there's a proper way to approach the sheep through the door, through Jesus, who is the door. Any shepherd that tries to approach the sheep some other way is not a shepherd at all. In fact, they are a wolf, or they are a thief, a robber, or a stranger. But a good shepherd goes through the door. Are you with me? So the parable of the door um, was a, a concern with the approach. Not over the wall, not some sneaky or covert manner, but by the only proper way to enter a sheepfold, and that's the front door. Now, if you remember, we talked about the parable of the door, and then we use verses 7 through 10 to help further explain that parable. If you want to check it out, podcast it. This morning, we're going to cover the second section, which should be broken down for you on here as well. And that second section starts with the end of verse 3 and goes all the way to verse 5. And we called that second section the parable of the good shepherd. And this parable, so the parable of the door is concerned with the way you approach the sheep. The parable of the good shepherd is concerned with the relationship the shepherd has with his sheep. So just a quick little public service announcement. If you're taking notes or if you're just trying to track with me because I can kind of go really fast. Um, this morning we'll be referring to verses 11 through 16 to bring greater clarity to verses 3 through 5. Okay, and so we're going to break that down for you in two ways. The first way is this. Verses 11 through 13 is going to talk about Jesus is our good shepherd because he's willing to die. That's verses 11 through 13. Jesus is the good shepherd because he's willing to die. Something's ready. <laughs> I thought of a hot pocket immediately. <laughs> I might have got a text because they're using my computer, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> a pastor's nightmare. It's my computer, and then you see all of my stuff just shoot out, right? <sighs> Better make sure I'm sanctified in my web searching, right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Pop-tarts are ready. Hot pockets are ready. You guys are excited to be here. We're going for it. 11 through 13, uh, Jesus is the good shepherd because he's willing to die. And I feel like, hey, that's right. Maybe that. <laughs> Jesus is like, yes. And then, verse, and then verses 14 through 16, Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep intimately. And so we're going to break it down in those two sections if you're taking notes. Um, and you can kind of uh, follow, attempt to track with me as much as possible. Now, the opening verse, uh, the opening line of verse 11 in chapter 10, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. Now, the Greek word for good is kalos, or I, I believe it's kalos. And kalos just means this, I am the kalos shepherd, I am the good shepherd, I am the excellent shepherd, the noble, beautiful, fair, and ideal shepherd. Now, Jesus was not looking in the mirror when he made that statement. You know, I tend to think that I'm a good-looking pastor. So the Sundays before I come to church, I look in the mirror and I say to myself, you are fair and excellent and beautiful in all your way. So <laughs> Jesus was not looking in the mirror. It wasn't the outer appearance that Jesus was referring to, although Kalos can refer to the outer appearance. But what the good shepherd uh, was what good in this context was referencing was the absolute purity of Jesus's inward character. 
He is the perfect shepherd. Now, if you remember last week, we realized that Jesus wasn't making these comments about himself out of the blue. So he says, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. Jesus wasn't just making random comments about himself, but it was the events of the previous chapter that led him to make these comments about himself. So I'm going to recap chapter 10. Most of you, this should be a refresher, but I'm going to recap chapter 10 or chapter 9 before we move on. So in chapter 9, if you remember the story, there was a man who was born blind. Jesus spits blood and then puts it over his eyes. And when, they, when he washes it out, all of a sudden the man who was born blind could see. And if you remember the story, everyone was amazed and astonished because there was this man that they were familiar with that had been blind all his life. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he could see. And so they were trying to explain how this could happen. But in the story... They were not just um, in awe, but they were also, there was a nervousness, so they also, there was a, they were uh, scared, there was a fear. And the reason why there was also a fear was because the synagogue leaders of that city had already, uh, the synagogue leaders in that city had already determined that if anybody said anything good about Jesus, that they would be literally kicked out of the synagogue for good. Here comes this blind man, born blind. All of a sudden he comes. He could see. They're totally in awe about this, but they realize Jesus is the one that healed him, and so they're conflicted inside because they don't really want to give glory to Jesus, so they don't want to attribute this to Jesus because they feel like if they do, they're going to be kicked out. So if you remember, the Pharisees gathered everybody because they wanted to kind of do a little report on what happened. And remember, they brought in, they begin to interview everybody. It was like, I don't know. They brought his parents. It's like, I don't know. I'll ask our son. He's old enough. And so the final they asked the man who was healed and the man who was healed said you know what I'm tired of this he didn't say it like that I'm just kind of adding a little extra stuff but I'm tired of it nobody wants to say the truth but you know what I'm going to say it Jesus did this and no man filled with a demon can heal, heal a blind man in fact he says never in the history of mankind has a blind, blind man ever been healed and he says it must be from God and if you recall instead of the Pharisees celebrating this and saying wow you were blind, now you can see. Let's throw a party. Instead of celebrating this, they got irritated, they got angry, and what did the Bible say? The Bible says that they kicked the man out of the synagogue. And so that leads Jesus to say that he is the door and he is the good shepherd. Verse 11, and I'm going to read verse 11 through 13, reads like this. Jesus' these Jesus words. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. If you're wondering why Jesus is your good shepherd, it's because Jesus is willing to die for you. Notice the description of the hired hand. Jesus describes the difference between a shepherd and a hired hand. In fact, there are three responses the hired hand uh, displays when the wolf comes. There are three responses the hired hand displays when danger presents 
itself to the hired hand. Scripture tells us that the hired hand beholds the wolf. In other words, he sees the wolf coming from afar. He stands and watches the wolf. And he contemplates whether or not he thinks the sheep are worth protecting. Then scripture goes on to say that the hired hand leaves the sheep. After some thought, he determines it's better for him to find a temporary place of safety, a place that will allow him to be far enough to avoid the wolf, but close enough to observe what the wolf is doing to the sheep. Number one, he beholds the wolf coming. Number two, he leaves the sheep. And then finally, number three tells us, the scripture tells us the hired hand flees. So it says he leaves at first, but then he says he flees. So we can make the distinguish, we can distinguish between leaving and fleeing. Leaving is, like I said, it's getting away from the danger of the wolf, but it's staying close enough to watch what the wolf is going to do to the sheep. Fleeing is completely running away. And this is the true nature of the hired hand. The word flee is much more urgent than the word leave. It indicates that the hired hand is running away because once the wolf is done with the sheep, he now is going to come after him. Now, two quick, brief observations I want to make. First, the threat of danger and the presence of a wolf reveals the true concern of the hired hand. You see, the hired hand is willing to watch the sheep, but when danger is imminent, his true intentions or his true motivation is exposed. Are you with me? Secondly, it's obvious that the hired hand is ill-equipped not only to protect the flock, but he's also ill-equipped to protect himself. This is why he leaves the flock, and then he finally flees himself. So he can't just protect the flock, but he can't protect himself neither. Now, hired hands, and this particular hired hand, has determined that their life is not worth risking for the sheep. These were guys who were um, brought in and paid an hourly wage to look after the sheep for a brief time. Hired hands were not the shepherds of the sheep. They were guys that would come in and for a right price watch the sheep. The hired hand did not own the sheep. He had no affection towards the sheep. He had no vested interest in the sheep. So at the first sign of danger, whether by a wild animal or a bandit, um, the hired hand would turn and run. But Jesus says this. This is not who I am. This is not what I do when it comes to my sheep. I own the sheep. And because they belong to me, I am fully committed to their safety. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the way that you can tell I am good is because I defend my flock with my life. Now, let's skip to verse 17 for a moment. Chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 says this. For this reason, this is Jesus speaking, the Father loves me. Because, and you can underline this phrase in your Bible if you're following along with a pen. He says, for this reason the Father loves me because, here it is, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. It's pretty boss, right? I mean, it's pretty G, right? Nobody takes my life. I lay it down, and then I pick it back up again. Now, I want to stop here because the good shepherd, we know he's good because he protects his sheep with his life. But there's some deep theology here, and I want to take a moment to present it to you because I think we need to be a church that understands some theology. First thing he says is, I lay it down. He's referring to his life. Jesus is alluding to the cross here. You guys know he hasn't died yet. Y'all know that, right? He hasn't died. He's alluding to the cross. See, I lay down my life. He's alluding to the cross. In fact, if you remember when Jesus was uh, on death row, he told Pilate this, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from my Father in heaven. In fact, if I wanted to, I can call down legions of angels and they would deliver me from this circumstance and this situation. He tells Pilate, you don't have power over me. Jesus was the one who determined when it was his time to die. Even when he was nailed to the cross, he says, it is finished. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then he dies. And so it wasn't even the, it wasn't even the Romans, yeah, the Romans killed him. But the reality is, is that Jesus determined when his life was ending, even when he was on the cross. What does that mean? The wolf has no power over the good shepherd. The ultimate reality of this whole thing is this. This was pre-planned. Jesus knew it was coming. Jesus didn't have to die. He was not obligated to die. Yet he willfully determined to lay his life down even before the foundations of the earth. And just in case you thought he was a victim, think again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That means that the wolf himself, Satan himself, did not understand the plan of God. When he was killing Jesus, or so he thought, he thought that he was going to win. He had no idea this was the plan all along. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.8, and I just read it, that if he would have known this was the plan all along, he would have never crucified Jesus. Second Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to this. Colossians 2, 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow. I'm looking at some of your faces. I'm like, man, I wish y'all could get it. I wish I could just spray. And just, oh, Wow. Think about the death of Christ actually disarms the enemy. The wolf was declawed and defanged in that moment. And in what you and I view as a defeat, the kingdom calls it a victory. What you and I view as a total and utter failure, the kingdom of God calls it the most ultimate beautiful success. Wow. Wow. Jesus says, 
I lay it down. And then he makes another word, number two. And he says, I pick it back up. Jesus is speaking boldly about himself as if he's God. Like, who do you think you are, God? I don't know anybody that can die and determine when they can die and then pick themselves back up again. Only God can resurrect the dead. Yet here Jesus is taking ownership of his own resurrection. This further proves that not only is Jesus God, and he knows it, but that this was his plan all along. The good shepherd voluntarily gave up his life knowing that he would die, but also knowing that he would what? He would rise again. Now, third point before we get back into the story, um, and this third point is found in verse 11. And it has to do with the phrase, I give my life up, and he says, for the sheep. For the sheep. Now, I want to look at that Greek word for for a quick second. And it's who pair. I give my life up, who pair the sheep? For the sheep. The word for does not adequately capture the theological significance of what Jesus is saying. Hear me out. The good shepherd doesn't just give his life for the sheep, but he gives his life on behalf of or instead of the sheep. In other words, he takes the place of the sheep and literally becomes the sheep's substitute. He is the good shepherd because he's willing to substitute himself instead of the sheep and place himself in death's claws instead of the sheep. And so he's not just a good shepherd because he's willing to die, but he's a good shepherd because he's willing to die in your place. Now let's continue back at verse 14. 14 through 16 says this. Once again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd because he's willing to die for his sheep, but Jesus is also the good shepherd because he knows his sheep intimately. In verse 14, we're told that Jesus knows his own and his own know him. Later in verse 16, we're told that other sheep listen to his voice. Now, I, wanna, I want you to uh, I wanna key in on the listen to his voice. Now, both statements remind us to go back and review the very first things Jesus said at the beginning of this chapter. You guys remember verses 3 through 4? Let me read it for you. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. See how many times that word know his voice, know his voice? Voice is just repeated several times. Earlier, we described three characteristics of a hired hand. You guys remember that? He beholds. So it says, oh, look, there's a wolf, and it looks like he's coming this way. Then the next one, he says, he leaves. Okay, I think I'm going to go over here. And he sits down, maybe finds a tree somewhere. He says, oh, shoot, that wolf is tearing up those sheep. And then number three, he says he flees because he says, oh, shoot, the wolf is coming for me. I'm out. Right? 
It's kind of like our generation when it comes to like, you know, the first thing we want to do is like take a look, pull out your phone, record it. All of a sudden it gets a little crazy, starts coming your way. You're just like, right? We're all hired hands. So earlier we described three characteristics of a hired hand. Now let's look at three characteristics that are given to us of a good shepherd. The first one is this. He says, the good shepherd, they know my voice. Which means that we can presume that the shepherd speaks to his sheep. You can't know someone's voice unless they speak to you. In fact, I, I was fascinated when uh, Jamila was pregnant. I'm sure all of us have gone through that. If you've been pregnant before or whatever, you're always, you know, you're updating your app every day. What, this week, oh, he's the shape of a peanut. That's crazy. You know, next week, he's a tangerine, you know. And, and it, you know, at certain points in time, it says, you look, they can even hear your voice. They even know mama and daddy's voice before they even come out. Because they're, and, and the only way you can know someone's voice is if you spend what? You spend time with them. And so there's an implication here. The sheep know my voice. In other words, I spend time communicating with them. They know what I sound like. Like a mama who's pregnant, the baby knows mama because he's with the mama. He lives with the mama. The mama carries him around. There is an understanding. There is a familiarity with the voice of God. I feel like I can go off on this. Some of us in here, the voice of God is speaking to you. And you act like you don't know the voice of God. It's dangerous to reject the voice of God because if you do it enough you can silent it out and it becomes foreign to you and you allow other voices to advise you you allow other voices to speak to you and before you know it you're not being led by a shepherd you're being led by a wolf and then two years from now you're sitting far away from God angry at the church mad at leaders blaming everybody else but yourself when the voice was speaking to you but Jesus says my own know me you know how we can tell if you're his or not? If you listen to his voice. A lot of us think we can come to church on Sunday and we're saved and we're good. And man, I'm all good. But the reality is, do you know his voice? Sunday morning church attendance does not determine your salvation. Do you know his voice? My own know me. That don't scare you. That don't bring awe. If that don't bring a commitment to the word in your life. If you're not looking at yourself in the mirror right now wondering what voices am I listening to. The good shepherd speaks to his sheep. He's not silent. I was, well, God hasn't been speaking to me. I feel like he's silent. That's not true. He speaks to his sheep. He speaks to them. And just in case you forgot, he's never silent. There's never a silent period. Somebody tells me, I feel like the Lord hasn't been, I just haven't been hearing from him. I was like, you're probably not reading your scripture. All right, that's not true. I've been sitting with you for coffee for the last six months. I'm not saying I'm God, but look, I'm just trying to, you get what I'm saying? Like, everyone, we want to, there's so many, we're, we're wild excuse makers. Our flesh we're so interested in feeding it. I'm totally going off here. It's all right. There's nobody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Summer. Some people are on vacation. You guys are the ones that are getting it. Pass it along. The good shepherd speaks to his sheep. It's interesting to note that the familiarity with the shepherd is linked to the sheep's familiarity with the sound of his voice. There's a theme here. 
that echoes throughout John's gospel, revealing to us that people who truly belong to God listen. Don't judge me when you don't listen. I don't know if you belong to God because if you were his, you would, you would know his voice and you would listen attentively. Wow. They listen and they believe. And here's the other one. They trust God because sometimes you can hear him, but that don't mean you trust him. God, you know what? I got to feed myself. I got to feed this loneliness inside of me. It's calling out to me. But no, no, no. I'm here. I'm no, no, there's something. I mean, there's, you, got, you guys know that battle. And we entertain the voice of the wolf. We're weird people. We, <laughs> we hear voices. We do. We do. And we hear the voice of the Lord. And the sheep know him and listen. Listen to John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For the words of me, I'm sorry, but if you believe Moses, you believe me. For he wrote about me. He's referring to the, the Bible, the Old Testament. He says, but if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? If you continue it later on in another chapter, John chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 37, then verse 45, then verse 47. Jesus says this. He's speaking to a crowd of people that are Pharisees again, leaders of the synagogue that are hostile to him. And this is what he says. I know you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Wow. You know, our flesh is so hostile to the word of God. We literally kill the presence of God in our lives because our flesh wants to feed itself so much. Jesus says, my words find no place in you. You know that, that I just I have a picture of like the words just coming out and looking for a place to rest. And it's looking just for a mind and a heart to just sit in and rest in. And some of us saying, okay, that stung a little bit, that hurt a little bit, but you're the good shepherd. And it's just the word of God is going out. Even right now, it's just going out. It's like, where can I sit? Where can I rest? I know where I can. My own. My own provide a place for my word. Verse 45 says, I tell you the truth, but you don't believe me. I tell you the truth, but you don't believe me. Verse 47 says, whoever is of God, this is crazy, hit me out. Verse 47 says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you're not of God. This is Jesus. Get them. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. And he's like speaking this to a group of people who like, should know God. He's not out there speaking to the people that have never been to church before. He's speaking to people, leaders in the church. The assumption of these verses is that the true believer has a receptive heart to God's word. And therefore, when the words of God come to them, they welcome and receive them. Because they know it's the voice of a good shepherd. The question for us Hear me out. 
the question for us is not whether or not we'll hear the good shepherd, but whether we'll respond to the words of Jesus when he does call. And if we do respond to him, will we respond to him like a stranger or will we respond to him like a shepherd? This is not a matter of how powerful or persuasive those words are, but more a reflection of your humility and the spiritual condition of your heart. Hearing the voice of the shepherd is synonymous with believing in the words of Jesus. You know, how, you know how you measure belief and repentance? You know how you measure that? I used to have, we used to have dialogue. In fact, I think Chris and I used to dialogue. Like, what does that mean, you know, back and forth? Like, what does it mean when someone tells you you need to repent? You know, you need to believe. You, you know, ever, anyone ever told you you need to be more humble? You know, you're like, I'm trying. Like, can you throw me a bone here? You know, what does that mean? Do you want me to, you know, you need to, you know, we've heard things before. I've heard them. You need to be more broken, right? We've talked about it. You need to be more broken. You're like, yeah, you know, do I got to come in with sackcloth and ash and like, duh, during worship? I mean, is he seeing me? Am I broken now? You know? And it's true. And we're like, what does that mean? And we get these abstract words thrown to us sometimes by leaders. I may tell you that. Like, you need to be more broken. Like, what does that mean? But I remember we used to dialogue about that. I used to really think, like, what does that mean, you know? And, but I, I started to realize brokenness repentance just means you listen. You know what someone's really saying is, I've given you some wisdom. Will you listen to it or will you not? If you listen to it and you change and you do what has been given to you, then you're broken and repented and humble. But if nothing changes and you go back doing the same thing, you don't, in fact, it just sounds like you're doing the opposite of what I'm saying. Therefore, you're not broken, you're not repented, you're not humble. And I meet the most humblest people. And then they don't do. And say, you know what, that's false humility. You're not humble at all. Are you with me? And again, look, I'm not trying to beat the sheep up. Right? I'm not trying to be a hired hand right now. But I, I just want to define, like, if you're looking, to what, how do I display humility and brokenness and repentance in my life? By hearing and doing the word. So no, you don't need to cry more. <laughs> Some of us are not as tearful as others. I know you don't need to show more emotion or I need to be on my knees or how do I, I don't know how to be broken. Be humble. Right? I, I, I can look people dead in the face. I've been mentoring and ministering for years and there's no change. In fact, it feels like they're getting worse. And I feel like, you know what, you're, there's arrogance, there's pride, there's no humility there. Wow. And, I mean, this is serious stuff, Right? Good shepherd speaks to his sheep. Number two, I love this part. The good shepherd calls his sheep by name. What's really cool about this is that I was kind of reading and looking at some background, and there were shepherds in Palestine during those times. A lot of them would, they would have pet names for their sheep. I'm cute. I heard somebody go, mmm. I'll give you guys a little mmm break. So their, their names like long ears, names like white nose, <laughs> right? So all of you have little have dogs. And Jamila and I were driving the other day, and she was like, why do they have doggy strollers nowadays? Millennials. <laughs> Just kidding. But it's like your dog can walk, you know? Like, in fact, it wants to walk. 
it wants to walk. <laughs> and like, they're like, and it's like, okay, I think this is more about you wanting a, a like baby than this dog. And a dog's just, you know, looks fine, but a dog's poor legs got no muscle on it. It wants to run and be free, and you got that thing in a stroller. So if you have a dog stroller, we're just rebuking you right now. Come under the voice of the shepherd. Change your ways. Save your dog. Despite his face, he wants to walk. <laughs> So, no, they didn't have little sheep strollers. But evidently, there still was, between the sheep and the shepherd, there was real closeness. And the shepherd actually would call the sheep by their name. And usually the shepherd would name the sheep according to maybe some sort of, so, you know, if he was fluffy, maybe call one fluffy, you know, skippy, uh, lumpy. <laughs> Come on, hey, man, we got some lumpy sheep in here. Come on. Where are we at? <laughs> All kinds of shapes. I just thank the Lord, right, for his grace. And that implies that the shepherd, <laughs> we have fluffy. Uh, it implies that the shepherd and the sheep have like this really intimate relationship in which they know one another. Now, last week we talked about the sheepfold. I don't know if you guys remember that. It, it was kind of enclosed with a stone wall. And uh, it would keep the sheep protected at night. Remember, there wasn't really any bob wire during that time. So what happens, they would put thorns. And so if any, anyone or any animal tried to climb over, they'd have a real tough time. Now, in some of those sheepfolds, they would be big enough to contain several different flocks. Which means that in one sheepfold, you would have like five or six different flocks that belong to like five or six different shepherds. And various shepherds would kind of bring their flocks in, and they would keep them in there overnight. Now, one would think this may not be a very wise idea because it's possible that your flocks would mix together. You may lose track of which sheep belong to which shepherd. But this is really important. The sheep would not get lost. They would not get lost. And they would not mix together because the sheep recognized the voice of their shepherd. And the shepherd recognized and would call the sheep by their name. Can you imagine the powerful imagery of a shepherd entering into a sheepfold and calling out the sheep by their name? And the moment he opens his mouth and lifts his voice, all those who belong to him would immediately unmix and unmingle and they'd separate themselves from other flocks and they'd immediately begin to move closer to their shepherd. What a beautiful picture of mutual intimacy. He knows your name and you know his voice. Think about this. What a powerful picture of the rapture. What a powerful picture of the rapture. You know, you have all of these people gathered together in this place called earth. And all of these wolves, thieves, and bandits, philosophies, religion, new age, alcohol. All of these wolves and bandits, drugs, all of these false senses of security calling your name. And these poor, this big sheepfold and all of these things coming in and attacking. 
And it, it's, just, it's just this crazy, crazy, and we're all intermixed together. And the good shepherd is out there calling our names. And the under shepherds and those that he's raised up. And all of us in here have callings to be kings and priests. He's raised us up to go out and find the sheep. And he knows them by name. And they learn his voice. And they realize they stop responding to other voices. And sometimes it's tough, right? And sometimes we respond a little bit. But as we grow and we walk and we start learning to respond and we start knowing our shepherd and he starts knowing us and then all of a sudden hey the good shepherd comes back he comes back in person and you know scripture tells us with a loud voice shout trumpet all of his own will be caught up to meet him in the air and I almost just imagine that picture of a shepherd coming down to the sheepfolds and those who know his voice, and he knows by name when he shouts, wow. when the trumpet sounds, they'll unmix themselves, unmingle themselves, and the flock will flock to the good shepherd and be caught up with him. And those who do not know him and do not know his voice will be left stranded, and they won't respond to the shepherd. Wow. What a... Can you imagine that imagery, imagery though, in, in, in ancient Palestine? Can you imagine the shepherd just walking in and calling the names of the sheep? And the minute he begins to speak, just this big white flock almost runs, right? It's all, uh, almost like you ever fed ducks, <laughs> and they know you're coming, especially in areas. Some of you feed ducks, you shouldn't. It's, against the, it's illegal in certain areas. But, like, the moment you come to an area, so Jamila and I were in, uh, we were at Lake Merritt, and those ducks are, like, smart. They get fed all the time. You don't got nothing in your hand, they still come close. And they're just like, <laughs> so we're looking over, and it's just like t- 10, just, you know, and then, of course, me, you know, I want to spit in the water, and they come, and they look, they're, but they're smart, though, because they're, re- they're like, eh, we've seen that before. <laughs> Go ahead, Willie. Um, but it's just like, it's just if you imagine the shepherd coming in, the shepherd calling out their voice, and then, whew, this whole flock just comes to him. Isn't that amazing? And I really think it's a beautiful picture of the church and his shepherd on that day. When Jesus comes for his church, his bride. You see, the good shepherd speaks to his sheep. The good shepherd calls his sheep by name. And lastly, scripture says the good shepherd leads his sheep out. See, even though the sheep will leave the safety of the sheepfold from time to time, they will never leave the safety of the good shepherd's presence. This is why as sheep, we must learn how to lean on the shepherd for guidance outside of the fold just as much as we lean on the shepherd for guidance inside of the fold. But probably the most powerful point about this statement that we can make is that the good shepherd, hear me out. And I love this point. It blessed me this week, so I feel like it's going to bless you. So just pretend. But probably what I would consider to be the most powerful point is the good shepherd does not drive the sheep. But instead, he leads the sheep. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't drive the sheep. He leads the sheep. 
You see, the difference between driving and leading is that one goes first. One goes ahead, while the other one goes behind, forcing the flock to go first. This is the difference between force and follow. The difference between forcing someone forward and following someone forward. The good shepherd never asks his sheep to go anywhere. He hasn't already gone. He is the pioneer. Amen. He is the pathfinder. He is the forerunner. He is the way maker. He's the one who leads and he goes first. He was lonely before you were lonely. He was persecuted before you were persecuted. He was rejected before you were rejected. He was abandoned before you were abandoned. He was tempted before you were tempted. He has, you have not gone to a place he hasn't gone before you. But he says, do not fear. I have overcome the world. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But I have overcome. I am not forcing you somewhere, not that you don't want to go. I'm asking you to follow me. You and I have access to the Father. You and I have a promise that one day we are going to dwell forever in the holiest place. And in that holiest place, we have a promise that one day we are going to experience the Lord face to face. Only because Jesus has gone before us. We can only go there because Jesus first offered the sacrifice that opens the door. We can only go there because Jesus forever intercedes for us on behalf of us next to the Father as our great high priest. Listen to the words of John Owen when he said this, Even heaven would not be a safe place to fix our hope in and our trust in if Christ were not already there. <laughs> Even heaven would be dangerous if Christ wasn't there. You wouldn't be able to enter into the presence of God without falling flat, flatlined, spiritually dead, physically dead. Even heaven would be a dangerous place if Christ wasn't there. Jesus is our good shepherd because he intimately knows us and because he willfully gave his life so that we could enter into eternity with him. He is the first fruit of the resurrection. You and I wouldn't be raised from the dead if he didn't die and resurrect first. I want to conclude this morning by reading from the words of the prophet Ezekiel. Now keep in mind... The prophet Ezekiel speaks hundreds of years before Jesus ever steps onto the scene. Are you with me? The gospel of John in the New Testament and the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament are separated by hundreds of years. Are you guys hearing me? I want you to hear the words of Ezekiel 34. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. Ezekiel 34. Listen to the words of Ezekiel. We're going to read, okay? We're going to read verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 24. So put your seatbelt on. Ezekiel 34. Hundreds of years before Jesus, Ezekiel says this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Try not to laugh here. This is serious. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely my sheep have become prey. And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I myself will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep and have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. And I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord of God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep between rams and male goats it's not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet so he went from talking to the shepherds now he's talking to the sheep verse 19 and must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them 
He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. God calls out the false shepherds because they eat and fail to feed. They refuse to heal and bind up the wounds. And when the flock is strayed, they're too lazy to go out. God calls out the fat sheep because they destroy the pasture. They dirty the water and they push to side the weaker and insignificant sheep. So he himself will come down and undo what the false shepherds and fat sheep have done. He'll make them lay down, does this sound familiar, by green pastures. He'll go after those who have, who have wandered off and he'll strengthen those who have been made weak by the fat sheep. And he'll judge those sheep which have been allowed to feed themselves. Listen to the prophecy of verse 22 one more time. I will rescue my flock. They will not, no longer be prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up for one. I will set up for them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall be their shepherd. Now, little little interesting note. We're done. You guys are doing good. We're gonna pray in a minute. He says, "I'm gonna." I'm going to set up a shepherd for them. Since they can't do it, I myself am going to do it. And he talks about David. My prince David's going to come. Now, what you need to understand in Israel, uh, David was considered a shepherd king. Israel patterns, it, Israel's, uh, they elevate David to the highest level. David is their hero. And he was considered the shepherd king. Now, I don't know if you know the story about young David. Many of us are familiar with David and Goliath. And I don't know if you remember, but all of the armies of Israel were gathered. And all the armies of the Philistines were gathered. And do you remember the great Philistine? What was his name? Goliath. A monster. A giant. A champion of the Philistines. And he says this. You get your champion, and I'll get my champion, and we'll meet in the battlefield. And the winner will take all. Why waste lives today? You get your champion, I'll get mine. We'll meet at the middle of the battlefields, and winner will take all. Well, Scripture tells us that all day long, the entire army of Israel cowered. Nobody wanted to face Goliath. Nobody wanted to step up to this strong, mighty giant. And he taunted Israel. And he called them names and made fun of them. And the Philistines laughed. And Israel cowered and shook. Not even the king, Saul, would step out and protect Israel. He himself would not do it. But this little boy, David, who was just coming over to the battle, not because he was in the army, but he had some lunch for his big brothers. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how messed up that is? Your dad's like, go, take lunch to your brothers. The insignificant one, right? Taking a little bit of bag of lunch to his brothers. And he goes to his brothers. And he can't help but overhear what's going on. And the slanderous words that are being shouted out into the heavens, shouted out into the sky, over Israel and against the God of Israel. And he looks around and he says, is there not anybody from the armies of God that will step out and face this giant? And his brothers would not do it, and the army would not do it, and the shepherd himself, the king, Saul, would not himself go. 
David says, I'll go. I'll do it. And if you remember, they looked at him and said, you're crazy. You're not a warrior. You're not a military strategist. You're not a fighter. And David goes, Saul, Saul's, I don't know. You know what? We're gonna, how about we throw some armor on you? Take my armor. It didn't even fit the guy. Can you imagine? It doesn't fit him. He's not fit for battle. He's not a warrior. The armor of the king doesn't even fit him. He says, but I'm a shepherd. So I don't know what that means. Well, what you don't know is that I've been watching over my sheep. And the bravery and the courage that I have in this moment is because what you don't know is that there have been bears that have came and attacked the sheep. There have been lions that have came and attacked the sheep. And I've never run. I'm not a hired hand. I'm a shepherd. And I've protected the sheep. And I beat a bear. I beat a wolf. And I beat a lion. And I can beat this uncircumcised Philistine who's slandering my God. So So he steps in in front of the armies of the Philistines and in front of the armies of Israel and they're boasting and yelling and laughing and Goliath himself says, who's this boy that you send in front of me? With three stones and a sling, he begins to just sling, right? We all know the story. And he lets it go and he nails Goliath. Goliath falls to the ground. He walks to Goliath and with Goliath's sword, I don't even know how he handled that, he rips the head off of Goliath and raises it up, begins to parade it around. Can you imagine that moment for David? Yo, fellas, where are you at? Can you imagine being like, and the roar and the shout, and can you imagine the Philistines cowarding and the Israelites being empowered in that moment? Now, we make a mistake sometimes in Christianity because we like to call ourselves David. It's not true. You're not David. Jesus is David. See, David is a foreshadowing. He's a, he's, a, he's a shadow of what's to come. In fact, the messianic name for, for the Messiah, all of Israelite would call him the son of David, would come. He is the son of David. He would come from the line of J- David. And so this morning, I want you to take yourself out of the story because you would cower just like anybody else. <laughs> I want you to put Jesus in that story. And I want you to know that what that was was telling us, it was giving us a foreshadowing of the champion that would come, the good shepherd that would come. And he's not a warrior, right? He came as a shepherd. And the crazy part about it is, is not only was he the shepherd that went up to the cross, but then he actually became the sheep, that, the lamb that was killed. In the cross. He became, he came at all. He resurrected, conquered sin, declawed the wolf. And this morning now you and I have a champion. And you don't fight this battle on your own. You're not the main character. Jesus is the champion. And he is our good shepherd. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know if this has anything to do with the message, but I had, over the weekend, I had read something and it stuck with me. And I said to myself, if I'm reminded of it while I'm preaching at any point, I'm just going to 
speak it. And so in this moment, I just want to speak to you. One of the most depressing scriptures. You're like, well, scriptures, how are they depressing? But one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible is John 6, 6, 6. Go figure. John 6, 66. Jesus had multiplied the bread. Y'all remember that? He had said, I am the bread, right? He said, you have to eat me, my flesh, my blood, right? And the scripture says that they got, kind of got weirded out by that. But one of the most, the saddest things that that scripture, John 6, 6, 6 says this. Listen, it says, and many of the disciples walked with him no more. His words got too tough. His words got too hard to understand. It doesn't say the Pharisees walked with him no more. They never walked with him in the first place. It says, and many of his disciples walked with him no more. It means at that point, up into John 6, 6, 6, they were walking with him. But because something that he said turned them off and they could not understand that from that point on they made a choice and left and then Jesus looks at his disciples and says what about you and Peter says where else can we go who else has the words of life my prayer this morning and I'm going to pray for everyone right now my prayer this morning is that you would know his voice he would know your name and that you allow his words whether uncomfortable, awkward, or encouraging and comforting, that you would allow them to do the work that they've attended, intended to do in your life. Whether you're unsaved, you don't know the Lord, whether you've been walking with him for a little bit of a time, or maybe you've been walking for a long time, he's got a word for everyone this morning. He's speaking to you in this season. If you don't know the Lord, I just want to tell you that you can make him your shepherd this morning. It's really simple. Scripture says all you have to do is believe Believe. Believe in Jesus. That he died. He rose again. Repent from your sin. You're not going to be perfect tomorrow, but he will come in and begin to do a new thing in you. And all he would ask you to do is continue to believe his words. Believe his words. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspirechurches.com.